If you have your Bibles and turn with me to John's first letter, 1 John. We'll read from uh, chapter 5, the first five verses of John's first letter. Let's pray before we read God's word together. Lord, we are a needy people. We can't, can't even understand your word unless your spirit comes and gives us illumination. So come, Holy Spirit, enable us to understand what you've caused to be written for our profit and for your glory, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. So 1 John in chapter 5. 1 John 5 and verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? May God bless the reading of his holy word. There's something almost odd here, so odd that every time I read it, I tend to think I've read it incorrectly. And because it's almost as if John is saying backwards that everything that he had said before. And in the previous chapters, John has been telling us that the way we know we love God, the way that we know we love God is by asking the question, do we love God's children? And you could construe that in chapter 5 he seems to be saying the opposite of that. He's now saying the way that we know that we love God's children is that we love God. And there is a believer, he's unsure whether he's passed from death to life. How can I be sure that I love God? I know I must love God, I should love God. How can I be sure I love God? And John says, well, do you love God's children? And then here comes the believer and says, well, how do I know that I love God's children then? And John says, well, you know you love God's children if you love God. And in a way, it's a complicated argument, but it's beautifully correct. It's beautifully wonderful, true. And John is trying to say that it is, that it is one, yes, and it is the other, yes. And as we are moved back from loving God to loving God's children, and from loving God's children back to loving God in the way that he has commanded. And how has he commanded we love him? By loving his children. But we've been looking at that recently about John is known as the apostle of love. That very last sermon that he preached, he was too weak. Part of he was carried in on a pallet. And then he said, brethren, love one another. But I want to look at this from an entirely different point of view this afternoon and pick out five terms or five words, five phrases that John uses in these words. And the first is new birth. And it's a little, that little expression that you find at the end of verse 1. Whoever has been born of him or of God. In a way, it would be better to render it, it has been born of God. Because the faith, the belief 
of everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Because faith comes after we've been born of God. And John is very particular in the original to put it that way. New birth, born again, is not just a buzzword that belongs to a certain type of Christian or a certain group of Christians or a certain denomination. It is a Bible term, it is a Bible phrase. So we need to be sure in our own minds of what this means. And the importance of what that means as anyone in the world this afternoon. It's what Paul calls adoption as sons. And John has given an entire chapter in his gospel to teach in this fundamental, foundational truth. What does it mean to be born again? We use it often enough. The world uses it, doesn't it? You, sometimes you can see if, if somebody has, and their, their career has been resurrected in a way, there again they're using Bible terms to say so-and-so has been born again. In chapter 3 of John's Gospel, not 1 John now, but the Gospel of John chapter 3, the incident where Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus, I was reading it with my son this last week, Nicodemus the Pharisee, Nicodemus the great Bible teacher of the day, and Jesus is having a conversation with the great Bible teacher of the day, the elite of the elite, about Christianity 101. What does it take? What does it mean to come into the kingdom of God? What does it take in order for us to be able to see or appreciate the kingdom of God? What does it take for us to understand spiritual things? Because as Paul tells us in Corinthians, the natural man does not understand, he does not perceive, he does not take in spiritual things. A man without the Spirit of God does not understand these things. So Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, the elite of the elite. How do you enter the kingdom of God? How do you see the kingdom of God? And Jesus says to him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, or perhaps born from above, he cannot see the kingdom of God of God. And then only two verses later he says, truly, truly I say unto you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And Jesus is not saying this to Nicodemus simply because he is a Pharisee, he's saying it because he is a sinner. And unless God graciously works in our understanding, in our wills, in our minds, in our affections, the supernatural work that brings us out of darkness into light. We cannot see, we cannot grasp, we cannot appreciate the kingdom of God. I had a wonderful discussion after the service this morning with a gentleman who is, he's told me he'd been reading through the book of Genesis. And I said, that's interesting, so have I. And, uh, and then he said, I've just read 30, chapter 38. You remember I preached that a couple of weeks ago. He said, why is it there? Why is it even there? He's a young man, I'm not, I'm not sure he knows, knows the Lord. And I said, well, it's there because it tells us of God's grace. And there's room for me and there's room for you. And then he said, well, he said, if I read the Old Testament, he said, it seems like they did terrible things, like they had loads of wives and they did all these kinds of things. And by the time you get to the New Testament, people are generally better. 
And I said, well, I, I can, you know, I understand where, you know, where you're coming from on that, I do. But I said, if you take Nicodemus, for example, I said, you know, the Jews and the leaders of the day, they thought they were right, but they were not. In a way, and that's a worse position to be in, to think you're right and you're not. And then I said, if you look at the world today, I said, it's built around being virtuous according not to God's standard, but to their standard. That's why you see virtue signaling everywhere you go. Because the whole world is built around being virtuous. But they're far away from God. They're far away from God. They don't even recognise their need of him. Have you been born again? It's the most crucial question of all. And I wonder this afternoon, when, when Nicodemus said, I don't understand what you're talking about. And Jesus said, unless you understand these things, indicative that you've not been born again. And Nicodemus is saying, but I do not understand what you're talking about. Do you understand what John is talking about here? Have you been born again? Have you experienced that supernatural work of the Holy Spirit that brings you out of your natural condition and into a condition whereby the Spirit of God dwells in you and you're adopted into the household and family of God? Are you a member of God's family? Are you an heir of God, joint heirs with Jesus Christ? Or are you saying this afternoon with Nicodemus, I do not understand what you're talking about? Then friend, listen to Jesus. Because Jesus is saying, if you do not understand these things, it is indicative and you're not a member of the kingdom of God. You need to be born from above in order to see the kingdom of God. That's the first phrase that John uses, which I think is important for us to be reminded of. He's talking about those who have been born again. The second word is belief. The second word I want us to look at, I'm looking at this from a slightly different way from the way we have been, is belief. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. If the first phrase or first term is new birth, the second is belief. And belief is a consequence of our new birth. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And then verse 5, the one who overcomes the world is the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. John says, if you are born again, you will demonstrate it by your faith. Faith, forsaking all, I take him. F-A-F. I-T-H, I can still spell. But forsaking all, I take him. Forsaking all, I take Jesus. Faith in what? Faith in whom? Faith in Jesus as the Christ. Faith in Jesus as the Son of God. So a person who is born again is a person who has experienced the divine new birth and manifests that by believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One, the Deliverer, the Saviour, the Saviour of sinners. And a person who is born again demonstrates that by saying and believing in his heart, in her heart, that Jesus Christ alone is without sin. That Jesus Christ alone lived a perfect life. That Jesus Christ died on Calvary's cross in my room, in my stead, the substitute for my sin, 
bearing my guilt, my shame, bearing the wrath of God that my sins deserved. And the death and resurrection of Jesus defeats all his enemies and my enemies. A person who is born again believes that Jesus is the Son of God, that he is the Lord of glory, that he is the only God there is. Paul believed that. Paul, the Jew who would have recited every day of his conscious life the Shema of Israel. Behold, the Lord your God is one. And now Paul has come to confess that Jesus of Nazareth, born in Bethlehem, raised in Nazareth, who went about preaching and teaching, that the Jesus who died on the cross is none other than the Lord of glory. James, the Lord's brother, who wrote the epistle of James. He grew up with Jesus of Nazareth. James knew Jesus when he was six. James knew Jesus when he was taught as a boy. James knew Jesus as a teenager. He knew Jesus when he was 18. And in the opening verse of his, his epistle, confesses that Jesus Christ is God, the Lord of glory. Remember, the Lord Jesus once asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? Many people have tried to answer that question over the years. A.N. Wilson, the author, wrote, Jesus was a good Jewish lad with a brilliant flair for shrewd moral teaching. He would have been horrified at the thought of people starting a church and worshipping him. Jesus certainly did not rise from the dead. He was a mere man. That's what A.N. Wilson believes. But what about you? Who do you say? Jesus is. Dr. Barbara Thiering lectured on the Dead Sea Scrolls at Sydney University in Australia. And she said that Jesus was part of a sect who lived in, a, in the Quarum district. He was married with three children. He divorced and remarried and did not die on the cross. That is what she thinks. Who do you say Jesus is? Or a minister of religion, Bishop John Shelby Spong. He was an, he's an Anglican Episcopalian from Newark in New Jersey. He said Jesus wasn't born of a virgin because Mary was raped. He's an Anglican minister. Jesus himself was married and the wedding at the Cana of Galilee was probably his. That's what a so-called minister of religion thinks. But what do you think? They will answer for themselves on the day of judgment when they see Jesus sitting at the right hand in glory and in triumph. But who do you say Jesus is? It's the question that Jesus asked. And John says, the one who has been born again from above, who has entered into the kingdom of God, he sees, appreciates spiritual things, and he believes that Jesus Christ is God, the Son of God of the living God. So the third, that's the, so we've had those two words, we've had born again from above, we've had born from above, we've had belief, and the third is love. And love is also another effect of being born again. And there were people who claimed to be Christians in John's time, 
in our time. And they have no sense of connectivity with brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. What does John say? Well, by their lifestyle, they're declaring themselves not to be born of God. Because John says that everyone who loves the Father loves his children as well. It's the very nature of a child of God to love other children of God. And we've been here before many times. Many times I've stood here in these, on the afternoons and said this. Why is John so fixated about loving one another? Because he heard Jesus say it. Three times in the upper room, those words that John would never forget, and they were seared into his heart. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. This is Jesus in the upper room teaching his disciples the last evening of his earthly life. And John is saying, this is the mark. This is the sign. This is the sign that you are born again, that you have faith in Jesus as Christ, the son of the living God, that you love one another that you love the people that God loves. John is not saved because he said it so clearly. You don't, you don't sort of sink all of your doctrinal beliefs and distinctives and just simply love one another. You could never accuse John of saying that. He's implemented a doctrinal test over and over in his letter. And even here he's saying you have to believe that Jesus is the Christ. And you have to believe that Jesus is the Son of God, non-negotiable. Sinclair Ferguson, I think, is absolutely right, because he says that Bible churches, biblically-based churches, find it easier dealing with false teaching. And they're at their worst when they're dealing with differences of opinion. And I quote, personal differences can be deadly, dividing the fellowship, sowing seeds of bitterness, Diverting attention from central issues, petty peripheral concerns, sucking energy that should be employed in building up believers and reaching out to the lost. How effectively we handle these differences may say more about the character of our church than how we handle heresy. Boy, that stings a bit. And he goes on to say, we can never shake hands with a Christian after a disagreement and say, I told you so. We must always say, the Lord told us so. Love one another, John said. The fourth word is obedience. Another effect of being born again is willing and joyful obedience. For verse 3, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. And these commandments are in the plural. Sometimes when it says commandment, in the singular it means the law, but it is in the plural, and that means it's referring to the Ten Commandments, the moral code. Christians who are born again love the Ten Commandments. They love the Ten Commandments. They love the Fourth Commandment of keeping the Lord's Day. Keeping the Lord's Day is not burdensome because we love God. 
We love to gather together. We love to sing Jesus' praises. And John is saying one of the marks of a believer is that the law is written on their hearts. Before we became Christian, theologians gave it a Latin term. Non posse, non pecere. It is not possible not to sin. There's a double negative. And when we became Christians, before we became Christians, all we ever did was sin. But the one who's been brought into become a child of God has been brought into a new relationship. We're not perfect yet. We really are not. I, you know, I, hope, I hope I'm not breaking anyone's bubble there. But we sin every day in thought, word and deed. But there is a desire, a God-given desire to keep God's law and his law is not burdensome anymore. It is not a law that threatens. It is not a law that condemns. It is a law that invigorates, challenges and motivates. In his commentary on 1 John, William Barclay has a story about a boy who was on his way to school. And he's carrying someone on his back, smaller than himself, who is unable to walk. And someone comes up to this boy and says, do you carry him to school every day? Yes, the boy says. Well, that's a heavy burden for you to carry. He is no burden, he says, he is my brother. He is no burden, he is my brother. Obedience. And the obedience of a child of God to the commandments of God, it's not burdensome. It's not an irritation, it's not a burden. I delight to do thy will. Yea, O God, thy law is within my heart. New birth, belief, love, obedience and victory. Fifth word is victory, it's clearly there. Verse 4, for everyone who has been born again, over, born of God, overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Just our faith. Not great intellectual prowess, not degrees in theology, but simple faith. Hands, empty hands stretched out embracing Jesus as Lord and Saviour. That is the victory that overcomes the world, that overcomes sin, that overcomes temptation, that overcomes our failures, that overcomes the hostility of Satan. Faith in Jesus Christ, faith is the victory. Maybe you're struggling this afternoon, you come to church with the smell of battle on you. Maybe you're struggling with self or struggling with sin struggling with temptation. Do you believe in Jesus and exercising faith in him will be the victory? It's looking to Jesus that is the victory. Maybe you're struggling with fellow Christians and fellow Christians can be hard to love. Somebody once said, I've heard Steve Brady say it so many times, to dwell above with saints above, that will be glory. But to dwell with below the saints we know, that's a different story. Faith. Faith. John is saying, do you want victory? Don't look to yourself. Don't look to yourself. Don't look to your attainments. 
Don't look to your record. Look to Jesus. I don't know. I, I don't know. I haven't played much golf, but I think Peter plays more golf than I do. But do you know what, what an air? Anyone know what an air shot is in golf? You swing the club, but you miss the ball. And the problem is a lack of talent for one thing. But the main problem is that you take your eye off the ball. You take your eye off the ball. And if you take your eye off Jesus, you will always fail. Because victory comes in overcoming the world. And victory comes by looking to Jesus. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. May the Lord bless the word for his glory. Amen.